You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. One Timothy, chapter one, verses eighteen to twenty. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. In a season of struggle, it is tough to understand how something which is hard for us can also strengthen us. Sure, there is exercise, which we know is good for us and can make us mentally stronger as well. But I'm not talking about the kind of difficult thing that you choose to do. Some of you have suffered and some are suffering now. It could be suffering or struggle because of our own sin, or because of the sins of others committed against you. David Duncan, here in our own congregation, is managing the operations of Hermanus Child and Family Services. And this past week, that organization was awarded a large financial gift from the yearly Lighthouse to Lighthouse Walk. And this is a true blessing to this organization, which is daily on the front line of brokenness in our community. And we should thank God for them. Each of the children and families that are served by Hermanus CFS are drowning in the effects of that brokenness. They are struggling for life in the worst of circumstances and are pinned in on all sides by sin and the rotten fruit that it produces. Each of those children or families are then met by the reality that these circumstances will either break them permanently or they will grow strong in those broken places. But they cannot do it on their own. They need people to come along beside them, encourage them, push them forward, disciple them, and extend the forgiveness of Jesus to them. We should be thankful for David's work at Hermanus CFS, and we should certainly pray for all those social workers and house parents and caregivers who are met with satanic opposition on a daily basis. As a church, we should pray for David and be praying that God will open a door even for our church to be involved in serving our community through the needed work of Hermanus CFS. Some of you were faced with nightmarish circumstances in your own family or upbringing, like what I just mentioned. And for those of you who were faced with that and understand those circumstances, I am astounded by your strength. I am amazed by your endurance. And though I may not have spoken it to you personally, know that when I pray for you as a member of Anchored Baptist Church, I also look to you as an example of strength that I desire to learn from and a 
an example of strength that I want to build into my own life. Your experience of hard things in the past should teach you how to handle hard things that come at you now and in the future. And I hope that you have learned that you cannot, or at least you should not, try to do it all on your own. Though this letter from a spiritual father to a son is also a letter written from one preacher to another, 1 Timothy is also a letter from someone who has been saved by Jesus and has suffered greatly. He suffers under the temptation of sin. He suffers under fateful accidents that should have been fatal. He struggles under the weight of caring for the lives and souls of others, and he struggles in the midst of hurt caused by betrayal. Paul knows struggle, and his young friend is being faced with struggle without the close assistance of his mentor, who has been by his side since the beginning of his ministry. Paul knows that this is not going to be easy for Timothy. It could be something that breaks him. One purpose of this letter is to offer Timothy some of the support that he needs. And in today's text, we need to see how important it is to keep a firm grip on your faith and yourself as Jesus patiently keeps a hold of you. Paul is ending this introduction to his letter in the same way that he began it, by calling Timothy his son. And it was significant the first time because it told us exactly the kind of friendship that they had. When he calls Timothy his child in verse 18, however, he adds depth and richness to it. We have already heard about the charge Paul gives to Timothy back in verses 3 to 5. That Timothy was to stay behind in Ephesus and charge certain people not to teach any wrong or foolish doctrine. His mission was to confront and correct them and hopefully remind them what the Christian faith was really all about, pushing them to be caretakers and teachers of the truth instead of getting caught up in a bunch of nonsense. While doing this, Timothy was to act in love towards them by confronting and correcting them with a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And now, when he reminds him of this charge, Paul says, I entrust you. <laughs> Women, imagine hearing this from your mother. Men, imagine hearing this from your father or from another man in your life whom you respect. I entrust this to you. Check to see if your heart is still beating, if that does not give you a little bit of courage or confidence. Paul is saying, son, I know you can do this, and I trust you. That's pretty great. When Paul repeats that Timothy is his child, Paul is also giving a comfort to him. When the son is sent out on the father's business, it comes with a blessing and the support that he needs to make it through. And on top of these encouraging and emboldening words, Paul then says something that is very curious in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Now, we've learned a little bit about Timothy, but we don't know him that well yet. And me personally, I have questions. Like, what kind of church did Timothy come from? 
<laughs> Not really. Um, but we do need to sort out what these prophecies could be. The two clearest options would sound something like this. One, that Timothy was sent out by a group of men from the church that he was raised in, raised in, who, who after much prayer and fasting, were led by God the Holy Spirit to give specific words of encouragement and challenge to him. And we have an example of this in Acts 13, verses 1 to 3. Another option for understanding these prophecies would be a more basic one, that since Timothy was young, people noticed in him a desire to know God's word and a caring attitude towards others, and it was then told to him that the church could benefit from this kind of disposition and ability. Also, Included in this, there would seem to be a continued support from those people who cheered Timothy on through prayer uh, and ongoing communication. Now, either of these understandings of these prophecies made about Timothy could be true, and of course, both of them are probably true as well. And we have to admit that in both of these circumstances, whatever kind of prophecy it is that we're talking about, things can go wrong. Unlike the prophets of old, uh, or John the Baptist, or even the apostles, we are not told that these types of prophecies are strictly the words of God. They are not encouragements and challenges and correction that are direct words from God's mouth. We get the idea here, with these words spoken over Timothy, that he could have proven them untrue, that he could reject the prophecies and go his own way. He could give in, give up, and get out of this serving the church thing. He could run away from the faith and try something new. Let's continue in verses 18 and beginning verse 19. In accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Paul here is encouraging Timothy by saying, You are a son to me, and remember, it is not just me that is there for you. You have a whole group of people behind you, praying for you, and wanting you to make it through this challenge, this, this battle, while keeping a hold of your faith and yourself. This is the way that one theologian translated these verses. I am passing this work on to you, my son Timothy. The prophetic word that was directed to you prepared us for this. All those prayers are coming together now so that you will do this well, fearless in your struggle, keeping a firm grip on your faith and on yourself. After all, this is a fight that we're in. I really like this uh, translation, this paraphrase, because it takes away from the ancientness of this text and reminds us that we have a common mission with Paul and Timothy. It reminds us that we are not far, we are not that far removed from this situation because of the struggles that lie ahead of us, and the dangers in those struggles are just the same as they were for Timothy. And it takes a phrase that we know, fight the good fight or wage the good warfare, and pumps some life back into it by reminding us that we actually are in a fight. It's normal. 
What is this fight exactly that Timothy and Paul are involved in? To argue with false teachers and beat them down with God's word? No. To, to win back the churches who are being influenced by them? Well, that's certainly a part of it. But it sounds much more boring than that, too. Timothy must replace bad teaching with good teaching and work to correct what has been done. Though we do know that there is more to this battle than meets the eye. We know from Ephesians 6 that it is in fact both a physical and a visible battle, as well as a battle with spiritual or invisible actors as well. We also know that this is a battle that we that must be fought with much prayer, as we learn from Ephesians and in our text next week. From this first chapter of 1 Timothy, I think we also see where our faith is involved, there is always a battle. Satan and his minions are always twisting what is true just enough to steal away your faith and the faith of others, piece by piece, little by little. What does this look like for us today? And what is the result of this fight when we ignore the tools God has gifted to us to wage this good warfare? Well, Paul tells Timothy in the next part of our passage, and it's true for us as well. He says that Timothy, if he ignores everything that has been poured into him, and by rejecting Jesus' work, even in the slightest, and by rejecting the newness of life given to him through the forgiveness from Christ, Timothy can wreck his faith. In fact, Paul names two men who have done this exact thing. Not only that, but they have let go of the helm, the captain's wheel of the ship, and they've allowed themselves and everyone else that they brought along in their boats to get dashed on the rocks. There's only one action Paul could do after having confronted these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He had to hand them over to Satan so that they could learn not to blaspheme or that is to spread lies about Jesus and his person and work. Well, that seems a bit harsh, doesn't it? Perhaps. And yet, it's far more gentle than the way he says it in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, that is Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That is, let him be damned. Let him go to hell, Paul is saying. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel to the one you received, let him be accursed. Quite literally, Paul is saying this person cannot be saved or should not be saved. Why would he say this? Is it true that these two men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, um, or the men that Timothy must correct, 
or the teachers of the Galatians church that were, were false teachers? Is it true that they cannot be saved? Is Paul somehow punishing them by sending them to hell? No. This is not a punishment from Paul. It is a reality check. That false teaching has eternal consequences. It does not matter how often you use God's name or how much Jesus you sprinkle on top of a teaching. Bad teaching can only lead to one thing. And this is similar to the language that we hear in Romans chapter 1 verses 24 to 25 as well. After talking about a whole bunch of, of sin, uh, Paul writes this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the, than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. I love that text because it shows us what true freedom in an earthly sense, looks like. It looks like us getting to do whatever we want to do. <laughs> it looks like us being given up to our sin, being handed over to Satan. Except in this situation, Paul is speaking the truth and then giving the men over to their own false teaching with the prayerful hope that they will finally understand their error and turn away from it. That they will stop running from Jesus, okay? That they will stop causing shipwreck of their faith and the faith of others. Paul is given, has given us this example of Hymenaeus and Alexander to show Timothy what can happen to any teacher in the church, but also to show him what discipleship and discipline in the church looks like for completely unrepentant people. This caused me to think about people who I know that have shipwrecked their faith. And it seemed like there were a couple of patterns that I noticed. The first pattern is that of Hymenaeus and Alexander. People that probably knew the truth but decided to reject it and hold on to something else instead. Those are hopefully obvious to you. Those are the ones that preach a bad news of victory in the here and now. That teach wealth and health and prosperity that teach a separation of God's people by color or culture, that preach works of the law to salvation, that preach anything that would stand between you and Christ for you. The second pattern, though, is far more common. It is a pattern where some, perhaps for good reason, walk away from the church. They walk away because they were hurt by other Christians. Or maybe for less good reasons. They walk away from church because they're just so busy right now. Or they walk away because, well, you know, we're starting a family. We just have kids. Kids' schedules are hard. It's hard to get to church. It's hard to... Or they walk away because they need to change churches. And then at some point they just cannot find the thing that they're looking for in a church. <laughs> you know, just as many other examples in that pattern as I do. And I emphasize the fact that they uh, are not intentionally walking away from the faith, but they're walking away from the church. 
It's important to emphasize that because the church is the one place where each and every week the good news of Jesus should be put right into your ears. It's the primary thing that God has given to us to, to remind us of what our faith is. It's the primary way that we learn about our faith. If we throw in baptism and the Lord's Supper in that, it's the primary way that our faith is pictured. And the church should be the place each and every week as well where we are reminded of the importance of God's word. And yet, as people separate themselves from the church, they do inevitably separate themselves from all the good gifts given by God for their strengthening and their building up. You know, as I think about it, there is actually a, a third pattern here that Timothy could most likely fall into. That in the struggle, in the fight, in the hardship, he would begin to lose hope. And he would loosen his grip on what he knows to be true. And why would he do it? I don't think he would want to do it think he would do it because things get hard. Things get especially hard when we are dealing with other people. Things get difficult when we enter into relationships. Because as a Christian, whether we always like it or not, whether sometimes it's awkward or not, or sometimes we just feel confused and we don't know what to do, when we enter into real relationships, we are entering into discipleship. And that is defined leading someone towards Jesus or walking with them in the growing of their faith. And it is difficult. Especially if those people have some very wrong ideas about you or about Christianity, about Jesus. Especially if these people have been taught crazy things and you're sharing the gospel with them is like constantly trying to talk a suicidal person off the edge of a building before they jump. This good fight, this good warfare, this reminder that we are in a fight, it might not be true for you. It, it might just feel like daily existence is a battle. I get that too. But the kind of fight that Paul is talking about with Timothy is a fight that we share. It's a war that we should also be engaged in. It's understanding that we are in a battle. And when you see this, you will also see your relationships in this way. Not in an adversarial way, but that you are literally fighting Four people out of the grips of the devil. <laughs> when you encourage a coworker who is struggling, or when you gently teach an equate, an equ uh, you know, a loose friend, an acquaintance, something about our faith in simple daily conversation, you are taking part in this mission that Timothy has been handed handed from Paul. You're taking part in the mission that has been given to all Christians. You're taking part in a fight, which is a good fight. 
and you're called to fight well in it. But it is not an easy fight. It is not a fight that you automatically, without thinking or without struggling, are going to make it to the end of. It is a fight where there are many casualties, like Hymenaeus and Alexander, and maybe even like these men that Timothy has come to correct. We don't know yet. And yet it is in this fight that we are called, like Timothy, to keep a firm grip on our faith and ourselves. And we can know that this is a good thing. <laughs> and we can know that this is what we should be doing. Because right now, Jesus patiently, as we read last week, Jesus patiently keeps a hold of you. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of being faced with opposition, Christian, you must keep a firm grip on your faith and yourself. And you must know that Jesus patiently keeps hold of you. Paul told us last week, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Next week, we're going to read this. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Christian, whether you are out on a daily basis struggling in our community and, and seeing the brokenness of this world, uh, whether it's on a smaller scale, where you're going into work or a place where you meet with people, um, people you run into on a weekly basis, and, and you're seeing all these little shipwrecks around you, it can become demoralizing and discouraging. It can cause you to question, what am I, what am I doing with my life? What is this whole church thing all about? Why am I doing this? It can cause you to question whether you will ever have the, the, the gumption to share the good news of Jesus with anyone. It can cause you to question whether this faith is real if I don't have the ability to communicate it or share it with others. But here's the deal. Wherever God has called you to, whether it's serving our community serving your boss, serving your co-workers, serving your neighbors. God has also gifted you his church. He's gifted you himself through his church in order that you can keep a firm grip on your faith and yourself. Or said another way, that you will cling tightly to your Jesus. That you will cling tightly to your Savior. And this yourself, this good conscience that Paul is talking about, is the understanding that as you move forward, you know that you have been forgiven of your sin. 
And what this means for us on a daily basis, too, is that we can make mistakes. We can mess up. We can do things imperfectly. We can serve the Lord imperfectly. We can use the wrong words. Um, We can cower and hide sometimes. We can be too bold sometimes. And yet in all of it, as we move forward, we can know that we have been saved by Jesus, that we are safe in him and that others need to hear that good news of the forgiveness of their sins for salvation. The good news that Jesus, their Savior, bled and died for them and took away all of their unrighteousness and instead get to stand before God pure and whole and good and the blessing that that is. Christian, keep a hold of your faith, your Jesus, keep a hold of yourself and know that Jesus patiently keeps a hold of you. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.